0: welcome to another edition of Resistance TV. As everybody's well aware, the cost of living crisis is driving a wave of strikes across the country. There's also a growing concern about the government's social, environmental and foreign policies too, and that's led to an upsurge in direct action by protest groups. But instead of addressing the growing concerns of the public, the Tory government's pushing through two pieces of legislation that represent a fundamental assault on our civil liberties. These are the Public Order Bill, and the so-called Strikes Minimum Service Levels Bill. These bills seek to outlaw industrial action in much of the public sector and to criminalise public protest too. Now joining us on the show tonight are uh, two uh, excellent uh, guests who will be able to uh, address, I hope, the, the growing impasse between the political class and the working class. I mean. Uh, We've got uh, Ian Hodson, who's the national president uh, of the excellent Bakers' Union, and Phil Bevan, who's a former staff member in Jeremy Corbyn's office when he was the leader of the Labour Party. Ian, let, let me come to you first, because I know you've got to uh, leave before the end of the show because of other commitments, but just want to ask, really, can the trade union movement defeat this legislative assault on workers, uh, if it becomes law, that is, and, and
1: do you think the unions will comply with it if it does
0: get onto the statute book?
1: well i think i think the trade unions have to defeat uh, this legislation if, if if to be able to defend their workers uh, to defend their members if workers are to be defended in the workplace then 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 we have to defeat uh, this legislation i think it's highly likely that the legislation will pass um but by the time it passes will these these strikes have been resolved um that 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 remains to be seen but i think in the in the long run the 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 uh the impact of this legislation would be such as to to force public service workers um to to be forced to work i mean you know i often give speeches chris and, and you know and, and remind people that the difference between the worker and a slave is the right to enjoy your labour but what what this legislation will do will will enforce public service workers nurses doctors uh firemen you know, all all of those essential workers that we went out and clapped to go into work and cross a picket line. And if they don't, you know, they will face dismissal. I mean, that's just an appalling situation for any worker to be faced with. I mean, I know in the 70s um,
0: and in the 80s as well, I think, I mean, when I think unions had many more members, uh, you know, in many ways, I think were, were stronger because of that. I mean, there were still... You know what was referred to as wildcat strikes. I mean, do you think that's a likelihood if the legislation goes forward?
1: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm I, I've got to ask the question: What would be the point of having a legal ballot if you're not protected during a legal strike? I mean, I don't I don't see any any point in in uh, in, in in costing yourselves uh, a fortune in firstly conducting that ballot, then having to meet those thresholds. Uh, when the outcome of that would be that uh, you would face uh, being sued anyway by your employer Um, and, you know, your your members would face being dismissed. Um, Mm. And, you know, as we've seen today, you know, the the government is offering £40 to people to cross a picket line, um, which shows that the money is there. Um, Mm. So this is about removing workers' rights. This is about attacking and and putting more costs onto trade unions anyway. And I think, you know, we have to recognise that curling up in a ball and just being kicked um, won't stop because we curl up in that ball and and allow ourselves to be kicked. At some point, we have to stand up and we have to say, actually, we're not going to play your game anymore. We're not going to follow your rules. And, you know, if our members want to take action, you know, then, then so be it, you know, because we 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 will not be exploited we will we will not accept low pay we will not set, accept having to rely on charity or people's goodwill to put food on our tables or to help us pay our rents or have to live on a credit card you know to to meet to meet the weekly bills that's just not acceptable and and i think you know for the trade union to be relevant to people's lives then then i think we have to recognise that that type of action will be required
0: it seems that we're going back, uh, you know, 200 years. I know we're not sort of talking about, well, they're not talking about transporting trade unionists just yet. But, you know, but I wonder what the tollpuddle martyrs and uh, you know, the pioneers of the labour movement, the trade union movement, would actually make of, of, of these retrograde steps that the, the government is taking.
1: I mean, I mean it's, it's horrific, isn't it? I mean, I, I went to um, the, the Indy Labour Fest on, and, and was speaking there about, you know, where we are as a working class. And what we did at that particular point to create a political party uh, that represented the interests of the labouring classes. And, you know, what we were faced with then was uh, was a Taft veil judgment, of course, which which put, um, you know, the, the unions at risk uh, because it, it allowed employers to sue them uh, for any loss of income. Because obviously you can't have these big capitalists uh, losing money in a strike. Um, but you can accept these big capitalist corporations uh, to exploit workers and, and and for them to to you know suffer um and, and, and you know the community to suffer with the with their inability to afford to, to live a decent life. Um I mean, you know, I, I think the working class is being posed a question. I don't think it's just the trade unions, I think it's all workers. You know, it's yeah. all the people who live in our communities that are being, you know, told basically we are removing your rights. Uh, we will remove your opportunity to defend yourself. So if you get harassed in the workplace, for example, there won't be anything you can do uh, to defend yourself because basically if you and your colleagues take any action to defend yourself, well, we could sack you for doing so. So, I mean, you know, imagine going into workplace and having to tolerate sexual harassment because those are the types of things that, that normally lead to disputes, you know, when when workers um harassed in the workplace or bullied in the workplace i mean nowadays ha, you know the issue of pay is not normally the biggest reason for industrial action most of our strikes in recent years have been to do with sexual harassment they've been to do with the issues of uh, zero hours contracts they've been to do with the issues of health and safety yeah obviously at this moment in time the public sector uh issue you know after working through the pandemic after being recognised as frontline workers, you know, accepting low pay increases, are now expected to pay for the billions that the government, you know, handed out to their mates. And and the legislation is being brought in because this government is incapable of negotiating. It's because they've not got the skills uh, that's required to sit down at a table and negotiate the terms and conditions of 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 those absolutely incredible uh workers uh that 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 save our lives on a daily basis. And I'm, I'm you know I, I, I could I couldn't say enough in support, you know, of 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 those you know the people who deliver our post, the people who can make sure that we're yeah. burning fires and the people who make sure that if we go to hospital, despite what they're faced with, treat us with dignity and respect, even though oh. they're so much stress and pressure. I mean, I was—we uh, we had
0: a, a like an, an impromptu uh, demo in support of the, the health workers, nurses, this morning in Derby, not at the workplace, but uh, but at a, a main arterial road into the city, and we're in, I basically say, you know support the nurses, pay the nurses properly, etc. And the you know the support from passing motorists was absolutely overwhelming. There's there's huge support, I think, for the industrial disputes which are taking place now, which which I think is you know is quite unusual actually you know compared to, I mean I think there's always been public support to to, to some level but but I think now it's, it's very very significant is that something you've picked up uh,
1: Ian? I, well? I absolutely have Chris and you know and and I, and I think you know the the government has picked on the wrong workers yeah you know I mean we've we've just gone through you know an incredible uh when you think about it an incredible um time when when the whole of the United Kingdom was asked to come out onto their doorstep to yeah. support and and applaud these people that were keeping us safe keeping our loved ones you know um free from from death basically yeah. Yeah. and the government has chosen that they will be the target they will be the new miners you know and yeah. and I, and i think they've 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 called it wrong and i think yeah. people can see through it you know and and i think when the teachers go out the impacts on the economy will be huge and again this is down to the fact that the people responsible, you know, for educating our next generation of scientists, of entrepreneurs, you know, of all those industrialists that we will require to keep the economy running, to make sure that we flourish in the future, are being told that their value is minimal. I mean, yeah. you know, you've got to invest in people, you know, yeah. make sure that we have a, a future um, and an economy uh, that, that that enables. Those who us who were still in work when we retired to be able to prosper. Yeah, um, absolutely. And we need those youngsters to be trained and skilled to be able to do that. And yet to, to it be, doesn't I was see- say. That, to, to, to
0: be fair though, uh, Ian, I mean, the, the, you know, the government uh, ministers did, did applaud the the health workers, didn't they, during, during the COVID crisis? So, so that's something that they can. Uh, you know.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously they can take that down to the bank and uh, pay the over yeah. with it. You know I, mean? oh, I think that's right. Absolutely. You know? yeah. I mean, that's I mean, the way to go. But I, mean, I think what, what we could do is maybe give, give the utilities a round of applause rather than paying these little insorbitant uh, I energy think goals. That'd be great. I think yeah. that'd be great. You know, just, just <laughs> as, you know, obviously the, 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 the idea that the people who are making this legislation, by the way, the people who are making this legislation in the face of the worst economic crisis that we've ever faced, yeah, are people claiming for their own energy? You know, not paying expenses to 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 uh, to purchase food, and you know, getting, oh, yeah. getting yeah. free transport. Double and standards they Can catch a train. You know, they can catch a taxi instead. We pay for their yeah. homes, well, their second homes, while they rent out their first homes, and yet they're saying, you know, we All can't right. afford to pay people who keep us safe. Well, they can afford. I mean, that,
0: that's just a myth. I mean, you know, Britain has its own sovereign currency, and literally, money is no object for the government. Uh, yeah. It can just create a, it, issues the. You know, the only the only impediment, frankly, to uh, public spending is the availability of real resources in the economy. You know, the basically, you know, the ability of the economy to absorb public spending, and then the government's got the instrument at its disposal of, of taxation. To if 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 the over if the economy overheats, it can it can tax the private sector to create the space for necessary public investment instead. But, Phil, let, let me come to you. I mean, the government seems to be engaged in a pincer movement to, to me. I mean, on the one hand, you know, banning strikes, I've just been talking to to Ian there uh, about, uh, and clamping down on public protests on the other. I mean, how do you think uh, the trade union movement and wider civil society should respond, in your opinion, to these attacks?
2: Oh, that's, that's a huge question. Um, I think... Um, well, yeah, I think it is a pincer movement and um, just to kind of my perspective on all of this, um, I'm interested in kind of international affairs and looking at things from the bigger picture as well. So um, on your point on the economy, Chris, um, it's it's true that the government, we have a sovereign currency in the UK and we can print as much money as we like, But the but Britain in the world today is, in, is we're at a bit of a turning point and we're in trouble as, as a country but also as an empire um, linked up to the united states um, our access to markets is increasing relative to other countries so as you get uh, countries like china rising up they have more economic power in the world uh, more leverage relative to the united states and britain and that is putting pressure on our access to resources. Um, And so the the domestic situation in this country is occurring in that context. And what we've had over, well, since 2008, so over a long period of time, we've now had uh, quantitative easing, lots of money printing. Um, But while we've been printing money, uh, the the access, our access to resources uh, has decreased. So there's more money going around. But it's actually buying uh, the, the UK economy, uh, the US economy, the dollar less. And so this is the thing about that. Mean. The thing about that, though,
0: is that the money was go- going into the pockets of the wrong people. I mean, what, what uh, Corbynomics was about when uh, um, Richard Murphy was advising Jeremy in the early days, but then it was quietly dropped. He talked about people's quantitative easing, and, and so rather than, as it were, you know, giving that, you know, creating that. Currency, I mean, they don't really print money anymore these days. It's just they, they 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 hit a few keys in the in the treasury, as it were, and transfer mm. money that way, um, rather than sort of transferring the money into the banks. Uh, what Richard was talking about, what Jeremy was was, was talk- I mean, this is how the the, mm. the, the term carbonomics came about. It was it was a pejorative term put forward by Chris Leslie, who was the yes. former Shadow uh, Chancellor. Uh, but mm. I think it was you know it was then adopted as quite a snappy. That's why it's quite a snappy uh, uh, strat line, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, yeah. what they're talking about is use that quantity to actually, for, for in you know, for real, to pay for real resources, anything that's available for you know, in your own currency. So they could yeah. have actually created the, 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 you know, improved the infrastructure, built the houses, and mm-hmm. and all the other things, and you know, proper pensions for yeah. for people, etc. But the the but
2: issue anyway, is, I mean, um, yeah, no, no, I mean, I just um, I agree with that. One of the things that Richard Murphy said, actually, um, I believe. I'm not sure where his thinking is now. I'm, I'm kind of going on what he said in the past, but is that um, quantitative easing, you only really, it's best used, you only really need it in a period of crisis to kind of boost, boost the economy in, in a period where things aren't going so well. You know, get money directly into people's pockets, as you say. And as again, you said, the problem is what the government did, both Labour and Conservatives, is that they gave the money to the banks to in, underpin private sector lending to get us all into debt. So, and and that was increased liquidity in the economy, increased spending through debt. So once again, we're all in a position where we're, we're, they've done all this money printing essentially to the point that they've maxed it out. And as a result, we're all in more debt than we've ever been again. Um, And at the same time, the money isn't worth as much. So we're in a real mess. And the reason the money isn't worth as much is because we have screwed up our foreign policy as well. The wars have backfired and our international relations policy is terrible, which is why ever more countries actually are moving away from the West and and going to China and even Russia. So So in terms of the domestic situation, the economic impact is significant. There's less resources to go around. And what the government is trying to do is find a way to claw back some of the value of of the money um, that they've been printing and by um, restricting uh, the economy again. And because they've screwed up and they don't want to give up the money, they're they're putting it all on us. so... Yes, I mean, you know, ordinary people certainly shouldn't be painful. I mean, I mean,
0: I think we did probably could do with another another programme to talk about, uh, you know, the whole kind of thing around the, the mm. economy, but I mean, the reality is that most of the I money mean, is talking about, mm. you know, borrowing, but most of the government bonds have actually been bought by the Bank of England, so it's actually yes. the government borrowing from itself. So that's a pile of nonsense, really. But just going back to the point, though, just in in, in relation to these two bills, though, uh, Phil, and I know you said it was a big question, but obviously there's this pincer movement they're attacking yeah. kind of... Uh, you know, civil society attacking the wider civil society, also going after trade unions. Um, I just wonder what you thought, well, just on that specific. one, how, well, how
2: how should we? How should we? Should we?
0: You know, ignore the
2: law and and you know. Well, I mean, might... yeah, I, I think my my point is that um, because the, the the problems that we're facing um, nationally and actually are a result of also of international policy as well, the government actually doesn't have any answers to them that are gonna work in the immediate term. Um, and so they're actually facing, our policy are facing a crisis of legitimacy that they don't know how to solve. Um, and that means that things here in this country are gonna get a hell of a lot worse, a hell of a lot worse uh, before they get better. Because um, since we can't get so many resources from elsewhere, we're cannibalizing our resources at home. So we've got the NHS sell-off and everything. Uh, and, all throughout our society people are struggling to access the things they the basics that they need increasingly and that's going to get worse and worse and worse and so the government knows this this is my view the government knows this and they're introducing these laws because they know that dissent is coming they know that people are fed up and they know that this you know they're going to be in trouble and they could try to crack down and put the but the, They're uh, implementing socialism for, for the rich, it seems to
0: me, yeah. though. I mean, they talk about cannibalising you know, various public services. and Maybe one of the things we should be doing is kind of raising political consciousness, because it doesn't have to be this way. Uh, I mean, we could properly nationalise the National Health Service. You know, we couldn't. I mean, what they're trying to do is, is, is to maintain the income stream for the super rich. Yeah, and, yeah, that's exactly uh, you know, what they're doing. <laughs> and so I think, you know, one of the things, I mean, the way I think the trade unions perhaps ought to uh, mm. uh, play, a, play a role in terms of raising the consciousness, the political consciousness of their, of their uh, members. But, but uh, Ian, I know you've got a uh, shoot in about 10 minutes. I just want to get a couple of other questions to you before you do have to, to leave. I'm a little what would say about the Labour Party's response to the government's move so far on these pieces of legislation.
1: I mean, obviously they 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 opposed it in Westminster, um, uh, which is good, you know, and it was it was good that, that Keir Starmer actually did say he'd he'd repeal it. Um, but I I trust Keir Starmer to deliver uh, on anything he says, not at all. Um I mean, you know, he was even questioned by, you know, that uh, Laura Koonsberg about, you know, the fact that he got elected um on a set of values. Um, I always thought values is what formed your opinion. Uh, But apparently, uh, for for the leader of the Labour Party, those values only formed your opinion at a a moment in time. Um, So so the idea that although he's opposing it in Westminster at this moment, if he was to become elected, um, maybe that moment in time would have passed and he would have moved on and we'd have some different values uh, from Keir Starmer. So, I'm not convinced that Keir Starmer would be true to his word and I think the trade unions should take anything he says with a pinch of salt. You know, this is a guy that said he supported £15 an hour and then, then forced Andy MacDonald to resign uh, for supporting £15 an hour at a conference who moved the best employment policies uh, that Labour's had um, in many a year and that was formed because of consultation between uh, shadow ministers and trade unions and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's been dumped on. So, I mean... Anything that the Labour Party has got to say on it, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, I do not have any confidence uh, that.
0: So, they... so, 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 if so, if Sir Keir Starmer gets the keys to 10 Downing Street, I mean, you're not particularly confident then that he he will repeal this legislation, or indeed the other anti-trade union legislation, which remained on the statute book during the 13 years that New Labour were in government, and Tony Blair was crowing about the fact that after the modifications, they did make some modifications, and Britain would still have the most restrictive trade union laws anywhere in the Western world, as if that was a good thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll find the third way, Chris. Um, as, <laughs> yeah. as, uh, as well, it's a neoliberal <laughs> way. It's not
0: really a third way. I mean, <laughs> these, these guys are neoliberals to the core. Yeah. I mean, you know, Sir oh, Keir God. Starmer, Rachel Reeves, Westfield, they're all neoliberals. That's a bloody problem. That's that's, what's been, yeah. that's what screwed us in this country. and indeed. Across the so-called Western world,
1: neoliberal economics—you know—it's it's socialism for the rich, it's, And, and, and pantheon for everybody else. I mean, that's why I mentioned at the, the beginning. You know, we were tasked in, ni- in you know—in the ni- early nineteen hundreds. You know, as a working class, about what we did, about the poverty that we was expected to live in, the inequality yeah. in the society, um, the fact that we didn't have decent homes, the fact that we had to rely on charity. We was tasked with with answering that question. Well, we're faced with the same question now, you know. in in in, in the in the twenty twenties, you know, you know, we've we're, we've got no decent home for people to, to 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 move into. We've got, you know, poorer and poorer accommodation um, for for people to live in. We've got low pay that doesn't, you know, doesn't enable you to meet the no. basic needs. And you know, we've got two political parties that are offering the same solutions um which basically would 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 maintain the current uh hardship that we're all suffering will continue to blame uh minority groups all right you know i mean when you think about it i mean we've moved from you know it's been members of the eu and it's all the fault of those migrants coming over here and taking all your jobs and taking all your housing now is the fault of 40 people coming over on a dinghy You know, in what sort of economy is it where 40 Mm -hmm. people on a dinghy can stop you from getting a house or decent pay to be able to put food on the table for your family? Mm -hmm. It's nonsense. This comes back to the
0: point about raising political consciousness, doesn't
1: it? And the thing I used to always say on the doorstep is that,
0: you know, if I come across somebody who held bigoted views was that we as working class people have got more in common with migrants than we got with the people at the top of society in this country who are very often the self-same people, the self-same interests, which are actually creating these circumstances which lead to people fleeing their own homes because these people are part of the war machine. And, uh, you know, we know that people, you know, the terrible consequences of war. And, uh, uh, you know, and if, if we could if we could
1: smash the war machine, then, you know, we'd have a much more uh, settled world. But, we'd have um, money to pay for things, wouldn't we? I mean, well, I, thought, I thought that was interesting the other day. I mean... Uh, the fact that the British the British Army is being told to send its tanks to Ukraine, you've got the generals coming out saying, hey, if you send those tanks, we've got no military. Um, no. I mean, you know. Uh, I mean, but, I mean, we've got the wrong priorities and the wrong solutions, and both political parties aren't, aren't interested in looking at an alternative.
0: They want to maintain the status quo, actually. They absolutely they? do.
1: I mean... You know, we we had a glimpse of of how different life could be. You know, yeah, uh, and oh, we, we did. Were told the 1970s absolutely. was a terrible period. Not for yeah. the working class, it wasn't. You no, know, absolutely. 70s, yeah. we were able to save, buy cars, go on holidays, buy homes. You know, we were, we were, we were. I'm, I'm
0: living proof of that, Ian. I was in <laughs> I mean, I've often made this point on this show, but I was an apprentice bricklayer in 1976, <laughs> 19 years old, and me and my girlfriend, my girlfriend no. Oh, went on to become my, my wife but uh, she worked as a telephonist for the city council we were able to buy a brand new three-bedroom semi-detached house in a desirable village backing onto a waterfront ah, now you know and it was three times that i was what i earned i mean ridiculous you know but, no, it's but so, like, you... yeah exactly mate and it shouldn't be that way should it, no. it i mean you know i mean those days children could always look forward to so a better quality of life, a better standard of living of the parents, and it's gone into reverse now.
1: And that's just yeah. totally unacceptable. And we have to but a country that's got the fifth biggest economy in the world. Yeah. and we have to remind people. I mean, you know, and and politics is important. I mean, you know, politics is important, but but the ability to get the message about the alternative politics is is yeah. the part that, that I I you know I know I know you try your best with with resistant TV, and obviously, there's a lot of a left wing media out there. Um, and obviously trade unions do try and get that message across. I mean, Sharon Graham's doing a phenomenal job uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with what she's been winning inside inside United. And obviously, you know, Mick Lynch um, and, and, you know, what he's been talking about and Eddie Dempsey. I mean, they've been incredible. Um, again. I think these industrial
0: disputes will, will help to politicise more people as well actually, oh. I mean and that, so that, you know, that's another positive thing to, to come out of. Let me just get another quick question to, to Phil, and I want one more to go to you okay. again before you've got to shoot off, but I just wanted to ask you Phil, I mean the public order bill, as you know, contains some quite draconian measures, mm. <clears throat> which is enabling the police to stop demonstrations in the tracks, criminalising people just for linking arms, for God's sake uh, apparently it's also going to be possible to limit activists' use of the internet and it would even apparently even enable the state to electronically tag would be protesters. Can you believe it? I mean this level yes. of authoritarianism.
2: <laughs> yes. We, we, of authoritarianism, we're seeing it we're seeing it everywhere in the West. We're unprecedented. seeing it everywhere. it's,
0: unprecedented. it's unprecedented. look this level of authoritarianism, it's unprecedented in my lifetime. Yeah. Is the establishment frightened?
2: Yes, yeah, terrified. I mean, because it's it's like I say, there's they they are desperate to protect their share of the wealth. Um, at a time when the country's economy's access to wealth is declining, and it, in order to do that, th- they have to they have to crack down because people are getting fed up with uh, giving ever more cash to the top. And so, yeah, they're, they're absolutely terrified, and that's why they're bringing forward this legislation to put things in place so that when people do start to kick off they have everything ready to start to throw people in jail. And this is the thing is that, and just going back to your previous question, Chris, about, um, I didn't answer it directly, but will people, um, should people break the law? My, my view is actually people at some point are gonna to have to because they won't be able to protest or uh, raise dissent within the law. So it's going to make this clash between ordinary people and the establishment inevitable. And that's not what any of us want, but that's what they're doing, um, and they're doing it in pur- on purpose. Um, I also think they probably don't have the resources to enforce it properly. So it's going to be um, it's going to be very interesting what happens over the next few years. But it's also very concerning. Um, but, I mean, um, on yeah. another point,
0: uh, another tangential uh, point is in terms of the you know the lack of resources. I mean, one of the things that you know even new New Labour are saying now. With regard to the national health services that, you know, the crisis in the NHS, what they're arguing, as you know, is, you know, can be plugged by the private sector. So more privatisation. But that's nonsense because the vast bulk of of private health care is provided by people moonlighting who work in the NHS. So it's not, you know, we need to grow the capacity in totality, not to sort of rob Peter to, to pay Paul. That's well, just a they're, nonsense they're, thing,
2: you know. They're, they're doing the opposite. Um, like I said, again, it's this this access to real resources um, declining. And so they're turning on our own resource base in this country because they can't exploit other countries quite to the extent that they could. And the NHS is the big one. That's why, you know, there's all this talk of... Um, Uh, US buying out GP surgery contracts and all this kind of stuff Um, but what they're actually doing rather than expanding um, the provision of public health care in this country they are asset stripping so the um, coronavirus crisis was actually used as an excuse to get rid of hospital beds so the 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 NHS crisis isn't an accident um, and this is something that people like Bob Gill are always saying it is um, an intentional outcome of policy you don't remove specifically remove people's rights to access to healthcare unless yeah. you mean to do that and that's exactly what they've done and so we're in this kind of economic crisis through crap government decisions and crap economic management um across yeah. the west but here in the UK, uh, for, for, um,
0: uh, which for 40 years of course as well for 40 Look, years, it, it's, yeah. just, it, it's just it's uh, just half past now, and I know Ian was going to go at half past, but let me just ask you one final quick question, Ian, before you do have to leave. I mean, the British government, as you know, is quick to support and even foment strikes and and demonstrations in other countries that challenge Western imperialism. Yet here in Britain, as we know, we've been talking about this evening, they want to outlaw industrial action and criminalise the sort of public protests that they venerate in other countries. I mean, that smacks of breathtaking hypocrisy to me. What would your concluding comments be about that?
1: level of hypocrisy I, I mean well i'm not surprised i mean the hypocrisy at the heart of this government i mean when you when you consider that you know the people who have been championing these anti-strike laws have been saying it's about bringing britain in line with the european union um i think it speaks volumes about 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 where where they're prepared to go um and and i and i believe you know for for, for decades for centuries you Know we, 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 you know, we're part of a country that believes you can bomb democracy around the world, uh, but not practice this at home. I think it was Gandhi that once said that when we get it, it would be nice, yes, civilization, uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, 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 the more astounding thing to me is how people are prepared to allow it.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: that's that's the astounding thing to me, how people are allowed allowing a government that wants to pretend by talking about freedoms, liberties, and democracy is probably the most authoritarian and one of the most authoritarian governments, certainly in Europe and maybe in the Western world. And, and, and yet we believe somehow we are free and living in a democracy. And we're not, you know, mm. and people need to wake up to that fact because, you know, once they've run out of migrants to despise, once they've run out of poor people uh, to demoralise and demonise, then they've got the middle class and then Mm -hmm. what's left, you Mm -hmm. know? And people need to be aware of that because it's not just our liberties that are being taken away, it's theirs too. And liberty, you know, is so important, a right Mm -hmm. for all of us as human beings regardless of our race, or our colour, our religion, it's a right that we should be entitled to. But sometimes we have to fight for it. And we want have to fight for it again.
0: Well, the French Revolution, I mean, you know, talked about equality, fraternity and liberty. I mean, and, you know, we could do with a bit of uh, that in this country as well, couldn't we? Uh, listen, Ian, I know you've got to shoot off, mate. Thanks very Good much. On. You need to take the time out to to come on. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, but... Um, yeah, best of luck mate and your thank you very much yeah Good thanks, luck. On. See you soon. thanks thank you luck. very much yeah Bye. cheers mate see you mate yeah yeah phil just in the last sort of uh, uh 10 or 15 minutes then i mean we just wondered whether you might say a bit about the uh you know the kind of burgeoning protest movement in this uh, country uh some of which have been the you know the targets of uh, this uh, legislation um some of the direct action organisations do some 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 great work. Others, I mean, I just you know, some are just worry that, and I know you've got some concerns, are yeah. you know being being um, you know manipulated by infiltrated by um, you know dark nefarious uh, forces. I wonder if you might sort of
2: say a little bit about mm-hmm. that, well, I mean, I just, how we can distinguish, you know, you know, yeah. who's, who's, um, who's a bit dodgy. You know? Well, we'll just coming in. Um... Off the back of your question to Ian about political education, yeah, Um, and I think it's with regards to these protest movements actually, this is one of the really kind of interesting um, aspects. One of of my expertise, academic expertise, is narrative. Um, And it's, I'm interested in how you differentiate between them is, is kind of the stories that they're telling and that they fit into. And in terms of political education, um, if we're going to make any change in this country, obviously we need to focus on uniting people on class interests, because that is the, the widest, um, you know, that's the, the widest point of common interest It's the fact that we're all workers, most of us, you know, and we, we have to sell our labor to survive. And that is, that's what unites us. Um, however, that's not the, um, the ethos of all of these protest movements. So on the one hand, you've got um, uh, things like Palestine Action, which I fully support because they're they're having a very tangible um, impact on Elbit systems in the UK and their ability to operate. Um, I also, as we've been discussing, I think if we're gonna be prosperous, we need a new foreign policy that isn't focused on wars and they're definitely contributing to that um, so that we have uh, more peace and and trade agreements rather than uh, imposing uh, regimes from above through bombs Um, but on the other hand there are a couple of groups in the UK at least who aren't actually focused on um, socialism or class interests but are quite happy and willing to work with what we would as socialists consider to be the class enemy which is you know billionaires and, um, and even to an extent organizations linked to the state and that is Extinction Rebellion and Just Stop Oil and I've been doing a bit of research into these organizations. Um, I tend to, I don't know why exactly, I tend to fall down rabbit holes of this kind of stuff. Um, but I was looking at um, uh, Extinction Rebellion's financial records the other day, um, just out of interest. It's all public domain stuff. Um, and I saw that in, in 2019, um, they received a over a hundred thousand pound grant Um, from an organization, an NGO, non-governmental organization called the Children's Investment Fund Foundation. Um, Now, this is a partner of the British government in terms of overseas work and access and in relation to climate change. But it also promotes Western interests in places like China through using climate change as their point of kind of entry. Um, And the CEO of that is a former British government advisor and also works in um, another kind of think tank, which is all about um, increasing the access of Western NGOs to the Chinese economy. So you've got these organizations that are getting funding from, from foundations that are actually working in partnership with the British government And these foundations are set up by billionaires. Um, In the the case of um, the Children's Investment Fund Foundation, the the person who established that is a a guy named Chris Hon, and he has investments in Heathrow Airport, (laughs) which is bizarre. Um, With regards to Just Stop Oil, um, they, they receive money from the Climate Emergency Fund, which was set up by three very wealthy people, um, one of whom is this guy called Trevor Nielsen, who is a former member of the Council of Foreign Relations, which is this big CIA-backed US think tank, and he's currently running a business with uh, two former CIA officers. So these these organizations actually have quite strong financial links to the establishment, and they are not promoting class interests because if you look at what Just Stop Oil's been doing, in terms of blocking the M25, what they're actually doing is irritating people trying to get to work, to and from work. And whether or not this is the intention, what it is doing is is driving a wedge between protest movements or the concept of a protest movement and ordinary people, just as this legislation is going through parliament. And these organizations don't actually have a class basis. You know, they're completely different to say trade unions. Which have a very practical role in representing um, workplace rights and trying to get changes in the workplace Um, and even something like Palestine Action which is having a practical impact on Elbit systems in the UK these groups frankly as far as I can tell are just annoying a lot of people I mean they do have support but they don't actually have wide support and yet they're being promoted in the establishment media so Although we can't say exactly what's going on there, to my mind, something is a bit off. And um, so, I mean, think- what do you put that
0: down to? I mean, I mean, obviously, I suspect that the you know the rank of our members of those organisations are are genuine and uh, you know well-meaning mm. and they're not you know nefarious in any way, shape, or form. But it's somehow the people that perhaps somehow get to the top of organisations somehow maybe go wrong or maybe they're always working wrong. I don't know. It, it what do you put this down to? I mean, is it infiltration by uh, manipulation by the
2: ruling class or, or what? Um, I don't know. I mean, my my assumption is that obviously money is is something that will always impact on action, regardless of intent. And I think um, if you are part of the establishment and you want to have an in- influence in um, progressive movements, you can buy into them, can't you? You know, that's, that's one way of, of getting influence and shaping things is to is to is to fund them and i think that's that is what's well, definitely happening how much influence that is is buying if any i'm not 100 sure but like i say it is interesting that extinction rebellion and um just stop oil they're not socialist um explicitly not socialist in fact the funding model that, that backs just stop oil is um it's explicitly uh based on venture capitalism. Mm. So these organizations it's not in their interest to promote class solidarity uh, and the the uniting of the working class because that would affect their money coming in they're not able to do it and retain the investment from what are um, very capitalist ruling Mm. class um, financial backers and so on the one hand so in terms of political education we just need to be really careful about which organizations Um, we're talking about and talking up in relation to this Mm -hmm. legislation. Um, And obviously trade unions, brilliant, yes, Um, and also anti-imperialist kind of internationalist groups that are trying to shift British foreign policy in a way that will actually improve the economic situation for all of us. And if I think we have um, those twin pressures, so you've got working class people uniting around their economic interests in the workplace, and there is also um, an internationalist movement trying to kind of shift foreign policy away from wars and, and towards yeah. mutual respect um, between countries. Uh, Britain and, and also countries that have perhaps more natural resources that we need. Then that's the way to go, um, rather than these environmental. Because how many? You know, I do. I do support clean environment and, and yes. animal rights and all that, but. A lot of these environmental groups ha- also they are backed by organizations that have an imperialist agenda too across yeah. the world so opening up china economic interests there this isn't th- these aren't organizations that are going to build working class sor- solidarity at home and abroad and i think that really needs to be our focus and we need to be very clear um about who we're supporting and why we're supporting them and um yeah otherwise we'll end up where we are now, which is a, a fragmented yeah. working class base, so, and protest fra- movements that have served to fragment that base.
0: I mean, perhaps in conclusion, then the last forty years we've seen the dominance of
2: of the kind of well more than
0: forty years actually, and over forty. I mean, well, it's nineteen seventy six really. The kind of dominance of, of neoliberal, you know, monetarist economics. That's also coincided with a with an emphasis on. Identity politics and the demise of class politics, and I guess what you're saying isn't it that we need to maybe pay less attention to identity politics and and prioritize, you know, resurgence of class politics.
2: Um, yeah, it's it's not about kind of um, sort of overlooking diversity, but it's just focusing on what we have in common and our common interests and what unites us as humanity and as you know as a class and like you said earlier um you or oh, was it um was it ian i can't remember which one of you said it but we have far more in common with the people coming here on boats far more in common
0: yes that um, was my points i was making yeah
2: um than, than we do with the the big money capitalists who are actually funding groups like Exp- extinction rebellion and just stop oil um mm-hmm. we 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 need to we need to unite as a, as ordinary people and as a class um mm-hmm. so the interests of of politicians and, and trying yeah. to win over big money, much less important because of the numbers and, and what pressure that can achieve. And we're going to face some very hard times in the, in the next few years. So we we, we need to build a, a bigger movement as possible. Um, and, and that requires mobilising the yeah. working class. I, th- I think there is a bit of an issue, though, in terms of education and why this kind of is important, because um, I've been speaking to various people on the picket lines, um, and also, just like some people I know in politics, and one of the things they're saying is, is a lot of people who are going on strike don't actually know that they're that, that they don't get paid while yeah, they're on yeah, strike. There's all sorts of yeah. um, I know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they just don't understand what's going on, and so because of this forty and more years of neoliberalism, um, the the idea of class solidarity and socialism um, has it's kind of been cast to the wayside a bit, and we really yeah. now need to do a lot of effort to bring it back into the forefront. Yeah.
0: Well, we're certainly endeavouring to to do that. Uh, as far as the Socialist Labour Party is concerned, that Resist is now doing forces with, and I know you're uh, with the Workers Party. We, we're collaborating on the No NATO, No to War oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> campaign, um, and I think that's the future. We've got to, you know, the left has got to uh, collaborate and, and work together, but. I think we'll wrap it there, Phil, because unfortunately Sean's uh, poorly tonight. So if oh, you're watching okay. Sean, if you're watching Sean uh, get well soon, get well soon, yeah. So we, we won't be able to have any Q and A's from our audience this evening. But you've you put forward some very, I think, uh, thought provoking um, propositions in the in the latter part of the program. There, we talk about uh, you know some of these uh, environmental groups, which uh, mm. I think will probably be. You know, people don't will have heard that before, so I'll, I'll be—I would be quite interested actually to see uh, what people are saying in the chat, but I, I actually can't see that. So maybe mm-hmm. that's something that we perhaps uh, need to return to, uh, you know, in a future program. But listen, thanks, Phil, for for coming on this evening. I think it's been a, a useful and interesting conversation, and it was good to get Ian Hodson's thoughts as well. And uh, thank you, everybody, for watching this evening. Uh, we're going to call it a night now. Uh, tune in next week at the same time, seven o'clock, and uh, we'll be back with another Resistance TV. Until then, thank you for watching and good, good night. Time.